All right. Welcome to a brand new episode of A Grand Reflection. Now, I know it's been a long time. <laughs> um, gosh, I, I don't know. I was looking at it maybe like three months, four months. Uh, I don't even know anymore. Um, but either way, thank you for waiting and thank you for uh, tuning in right now. And uh, yeah, just thank you for your patience. Um, it's been a weird time. Uh, you know, obviously normal stuff like uh, uh, Christmas and uh, the New Year's and all, all that sort of stuff. You know, Thanksgiving was in the mix there too. Uh, but also too, it's just been a weird time in the world. Uh, there's been a lot going on. Um, and I'm not going to get into too too much of all that, um, except to say that, you know, there's probably some relations with this episode to... Um, the political divide, as well as uh, Martin Luther King. Uh, there's probably something there because we had MOK Day not too long ago. Um, but especially, I thought it would be perfect uh, that we're talking about love uh, right now in the middle of January because that puts a smack dab in the middle of uh, Christmas and uh, Valentine's Day. And both of those are very much... Um, uh, holidays that are involved with love, uh, you know, albeit very different ways involved in love. But uh, yeah, just to kind of get into that, I guess, you know, with Christmas, it's it's more that familial love, um, that nice, warm uh, affection feeling, um, kind of a coming back into focus of what it looks like to, um, to be cherished by others and to cherish others yourself. Um, and then Valentine's Day, this kind of interesting romantic uh, sort of one-on-one -on -one kind of love rather than familial love uh, that is focused on all like the intensity and the emotion. And, you know, I used to uh, especially love Christmas a lot more than Valentine's Day because I never really bought into that whole emotion full of thing. Um, but and, and I'll get into this a little bit later. I think there's more to be said about that side of love. And um, as we approach the holiday and, and, and kind of uh, that ramps up a little bit, we'll, you know, we see all the Valentine's Day stuff around town and, uh, you know, like in the stores and all that, which capitalism, I'm probably going to get into that too, but uh, <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. The point being, uh, it, it's kind of a really cool, unique time to talk about all these things. So, um, yeah, that's where we're at. Uh, another little bit of housekeeping here is I probably sound a little different, hopefully better. Uh, I think better. Um, because my, uh, my good friend Tyler for Christmas got me a microphone. Uh, it was one of the coolest surprises this year and, um, you're hearing me through it right now. And, and really, I think the, the biggest benefit that I'm seeing already from it is, uh, it's a direct USB recording, and so I can see uh, that the recording's working. Uh, before, I had this little portable recorder, and I would put it up in, and, and kind of try to mount it as best as I could. It didn't even have proper mounting stuff. And and then I would try to... Uh, oh, I'm, I'm going to have to pause it and come back because the mail is here, which means coffee is here. And I'm making me some coffee so that we can keep doing this. Anyway, I'll see you soon. Okay, we are back and I have coffee. And that probably means that I should explain a little bit. Um, I was waiting in the mail because I had uh, coffee coming in the mail. Um, believe it or not, from NPR. Who knew? Uh, this one particularly is called uh, Brewline, which I realize sounds like an advertisement, but I promise it's not. I'm just way into podcasts. And so I'm geeking out over the fact that NPR created a line of coffees. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's what I'm drinking right now. And uh, you might hear me sip. You might hear some strange things like that, which probably brings the next part of what I wanted to say about, uh, about the podcast as sort of an introduction, which is I'm going to be a lot more chill about it. Um, to be honest, <clears throat> uh, I've put a lot of pressure on... Oh, on trying to create outlines and then and then having this script to go off of and uh, creating this rigid structure, which is so ironic considering the truth podcast, you know, like that's a very left-brained activity and, and I don't want to discount the value of uh, creating a um, an outline. I think that's still good and I do have one for this. D don't worry, I'm not just totally going off a of left field, but 
at the same time, creating the script is it, it makes it really hard because then I'm I'm kind of acting on top of it rather than just talking and. Uh, you know, the superhero one was a, a path towards that too, which I, I think it was a lot better in that sense. But there's definitely still uh, some work that I want to give attention to uh, as far as just making these a little bit more amiable, a little bit more easygoing and all that sort of stuff. So so yeah, this is part of it. I might be sipping coffee while I do these. That might be a thing now. Um, or maybe not. You know, it's all freedom. Maybe some days I'll have it and some days I won't. Uh, I guess the whole point is to try to remove boxes. Um, and with that in mind, uh, I'm not quite sure where this episode's going to go. I have a ton of notes, and they are kind of scattered. And I might jump back and forth, and I might not quite, you know, I might backtrack. I might go, oh, wait, there's a thing I forgot, or things like that. Um, I want that to be okay, because I want it to be conversational. I want it to sound like I'm just here in front of a microphone, and I've got some exciting things to tell you, like... Uh, like I left a big long voicemail because uh, I had to tell you about these things, but you happen to not be available. Um, so maybe these could be a little bit more like voicemails. I, I hope so. And uh, so with that, I guess uh, it's good to keep. Oh, so here's a great example. I totally forgot. I <laughs> I forgot to tell you about the the microphone and why it's better. Um, so. This microphone that I'm using, uh, I don't have to, what I used to have to do was mount the old microphone, pull the memory card out after I recorded, slam it into my computer, and then see if the recording was okay. Um, whereas this one, I can see my little uh, recording, I can see the peaks and the troughs of the voice, so I can know where I'm at anyway. Uh, and so it's a lot more organic, and it should kind of aid in that thing I was just talking about with uh being a little bit less professional about it <laughs> in a weird way, um, being a little bit more okay with the messiness and the uncertainty and, and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, so that's cool. It all kind of goes hand in hand and it fits with the love thing too, right? Like, like my friend giving me this microphone. That's so cool. What, what perfect of a podcast to have right after such a gift. So, uh, with, without further ado, let's, uh, let's get started. Um, so this one's about love and uh, and about connection and all that sort of, oh, <sighs> so <laughs> we're doing one more thing. One more thing, which is uh, a, a small tweak uh, that I thought would be fun is to call these bigger, broad, sweeping episodes constellations um, because those Comet Trail episodes, that was fun, you know, starting with Neowise, I was like, ooh, Comet Trails. Yeah, that makes sense, because that's kind of what they are. They're just like streaking across the sky out of nowhere. Uh, one specific subject, there and done. Um, you're not really coming back to it a lot. But um, in contrast to that are these big, giant themes uh, that I do hope to come back to, that I hope to use as images to come back to, and that's kind of what constellations do. Um, in history, constellations were always as sort of a, um, a reminder of a story. And so I would hope that, that these constellations would be sort of the same thing. Um, and that'll probably make more sense one day when I do a storytelling episode. We can kind of integrate all that. But for now, uh, know that when it says constellation, it'll be a big, broad, sweeping theme. And when it says comet trail, it'll be a tiny little thing. Um, I might add an extra to that. Who knows? Maybe I'll figure out uh, planetary bodies and uh dark space or, or who knows what what else could be added to that but i feel like there's a lot of room to have some fun with it so uh so that's what that's about and uh, now let's truly get started um love yeah uh so this is something i've been thinking about for a really long time um and we're talking decades i i think i first had some of these ideas when i was about 21 um so, and again, I'm 31 now, so yeah, the whole decade. Uh, when I first got to college, and especially there was this class that I was taking at the time that was an English 102 class um, called Love, Sex, and Death. And uh, that was with a teacher called Erica Bine. So Erica Bine, if you happen to be listening, thank you so much. Uh, you kick-started something crazy going to my brain that has been going for a really long time and has had immense 
rewards with my understanding of how the world works, how people work, all that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, shout out to her. But uh, this um, class had huge broad sweeping themes, of course, but one of those was love. And one of the required readings was a book called The Art of Loving by Eric Fromm. Now, I might have mentioned that before in the truth episode, but um, I can't remember if I did or not. Uh, but this is probably one of my biggest uh, all-time most influential books that I've ever read. Um, it's up there with The Master and His Emissary by Ian McGilchrist. So as far as um, the last episode, really the, the big star of that episode was definitely The Master and His Emissary. For this episode, the star is going to be um, <clears throat> The Art of Loving by Eric Fromm. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to bring in other stuff. Uh, as is true to form of a grand reflection, we are going to be mashing in all sorts of crazy things together with this and uh, seeing what we come up with. But um, there will be kind of a lot of going back to a lot of his ideas um, as sort of a, a framework or a start. So uh, just a heads up on that. Um, and yeah, so so why why Eric Fromm? What, what, uh, what are his concepts that, that really get the ball rolling with the concept of love. Um, well, he calls it the art of loving for a sp very specific reason. His um, his big concept is that love is not primarily an emotion, but an action. And um, that makes a lot of sense when you think about it, because when you think of other emotions, uh, you say them in terms of like, I am, right? Like So like, I am angry, I am sad. Uh, that kind of stuff. But to say, I am love, uh, some people do say that, but that means something completely different than having an emotion, right? It means sort of this more metaphysical, spiritual, giant implications thing. Um, but more often we say, I have love, uh, or I'm giving love, uh, or... Uh, I am being loving, right? It, it's it's in motion, it's in action. And um, his argument in the book is that if it's an action, then it's something that can be practiced. And that is kind of the whole big idea there. So we'll circle back to that. But um, I, I think a good place to start is to think about um, how we usually think of love. Because uh, we usually don't think of it in terms of action. Uh, we usually think of it more in terms of like something that's coming to us, right? Um, oh, just waiting for love, and one day my love will come to me kind of stuff. Um, very much that Valentine's Day ideal. Uh, but there are some pitfalls with that and some difficulties with that because, because according to Fromm, uh, just like any art, in order to be good at it, you have to practice it. And so basically we're doing the equivalent of saying, oh, if I could just find the right paintbrush, then I could paint well. You know, when in reality, you, you kind of have to work with what you got. And then when the time comes to paint a masterpiece, all of that hard work will have paid off and you can enter into that well. Otherwise, it's like saying, oh, I just need to wait for my Sistine Chapel and then never practicing to paint, never having, having picked up a paintbrush in your entire life. And so that makes this weird dynamic where uh, you're left with, okay, what are my options? Am I just practicing? Like, am I just getting in romantic relationships so that I can practice? You know, and that that's not good either, right? Um, but Fromm argues that there's actually an even better way to do this, which is that love, we tend to limit to this one person, to this one object of love. But because it's more about the doing than it is the obtaining of an object, uh, which again goes back to uh, that lens of looking at truth through the buffered self, right? Uh, the objectification of things, the the um, removal of the uniqueness and complexity of every moment and every being and turning them into shorthanded objects that are easy to categorize and easy to um, grab hold of, right? This is the essence of turning somebody into an idol. Uh, you turn them into your object of desire and you stop seeing them as a person for who they are. And and that's really, I think, maybe the core of all this is the idea that um, love, the, the want for love, 
is the want to be seen and accepted as you are. But by turning somebody else into the object of our love, we're not giving them love. Um, and so there's not an exchange that's happening. Uh, we're turning them into an object. And then meanwhile, everybody else is turning everybody else into objects, hoping to be fulfilled in love. And then nobody's actually giving out love. Everybody's just turned everybody into objects and we're all buffered and we're all separate and it's not working. So uh, the idea is instead of looking at love as an object, uh, looking at it as an action. And I guess to take a step back from all this, the real question is why is that necessary? You know, why, um, why do we even need to bother with love? Well, I think that it's obvious that we do by the ways that um, we develop coping mechanisms. So there's this craving that we have deep down for oneness. And uh, we've separated ourselves from that oneness through creating uh, a self that's buffered from the world through our ego, through our left brain, whatever category you want to look at it through, um, all those categories that I created in the truth episode. Um, and again, those are created categories. To, to be sure, like all of this is fingers pointing at the moon. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that's, that's the idea that, you know, somebody's pointing at the moon, they're like, look at the moon. And then somebody's the person that they're trying to tell of the beauty and the wonder is like caught up on looking at their finger. Like, what, what do you mean? It's a finger. Um, it's like, no, 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 that's the finger that's pointing at the moon. Um, so that's what all this is, to be clear. Um, categories, categories can be useful as a metaphor or as a shorthand to uh, springboard into something bigger and more beautiful. So, so that's the idea. But in creating these categories, um, there are kind of some categories that happen um, <clears throat> that, that we fall into um, in this search for uh, for reuniting with the oneness, right? So, so we've separated ourselves and uh, that's to be safe, right? Because this world is permeable and, and we are affected by it, it is affected by us. But uh, at the same time, there's still a longing for what was lost because when we were animals, uh, we were one with the world, right? Uh, before we had a consciousness, before we had a sense of self, we could connect to everything organically. You know, <clears throat> a, a, a lion in, well, I was going to say the jungle, but in the savanna. Why do we always say lions are in the jungle? That's so weird. But anyway, like a lion in the savanna isn't going to just uh, question its existence. You know, it, it is, it does. Um, and it has a place and uh, it works on instincts. Uh, there's no sense of a self there. It just is. And I think subconsciously we have this memory of of being in the world. And you can look at this through different lenses. If you, I mean, right now I was looking at it through an evolutionary lens, but you could look at it as uh, like through a garden lens, uh, through the Garden of Eden, and like the idea of the fall and becoming self-conscious, right? Um, this idea of a sense of self emerges is like, oh, I am naked, you know, like who told you you were naked kind of thing. Um, and there's this craving to be able to return to that, to that connection, to that sense of intuitive uh, understanding your place in the world and what you're supposed to do next and, and just being. And so we do that in a couple different ways. We do that by forming groups. Uh, that's one of the ways uh, by looking for romance, finding a partner to complete us. Um, or also through, uh, through the means of capital, right? Through the means of obtaining wealth so that we can obtain objects that will somehow fulfill us. And this is kind of an interesting thing. All, all three of these, I, I don't think that they're bad. Um, and I'm sure there's other ways that we do all this too, but these are just ones that are jumping out to me right now. So I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't say that that's an exhaustive list. It's just what's coming out to me immediately. Um, these sort of groups... Uh, group dynamics, right? I, I don't think that's bad. There's, there's a want for connection and it's good to be, to belong, to be a part of a group, to know and to be known. Um, but that runs into problems when uh, that turns into a group think or an us versus them kind of thing. Uh, and then when you look at romance, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing to feel uh, or to want to have that feeling of connection with somebody else, someone other than you. Uh, but then when it turns to stalking or when it turns to uh, giving up your life for the sake of somebody else, 
um, and not like in the heroic sense, like in the uh, small everyday sense, you know, the uh, the giving up of yourself, like um, choosing to forego your own dreams for the sake of somebody else's. Uh, you can see kind of the brokenness that comes there. Uh, or, or even just in the whole idea of waiting for love, like I was mentioning before, then love never comes because we're all just waiting. So so there's that. And then, and then the objects thing, right? Like an object is never going to satisfy us. But, but at the same time, uh, there is this longing to be connected to the world, right? To the physical world that's out there. And so it's almost like a trying to bring in the physical world into us, right? And to, to kind of consume it. Like we, we call ourselves consumers, right? It's this idea that we want to have a part of what's out there become a part of what is us in here. And uh, we never lost that. We just uh, suppress it. So I, I guess... The argument for love is the argument that it is a natural state of human beings. Uh, when you look at it in a broader context, it's something that we can't just turn off. It's something that we can't just deny. Uh, it's part of being human. Um, unfortunately, part of being human is also having that buffered self, that logical self, that self that recognizes the self. Um, so I, I guess the, the the next thing to, to try to figure out is like, what, what do you do about that? Where do you <laughs> Where do you go from here? Well, it's not easy, uh, that's for sure. Uh, Fromm makes that clear. Uh, I got a quote here, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna read it. Um, this attitude that nothing is easier than to love has continued to be the prevalent idea about love in spite of the overwhelming evidence to the contrary. There is hardly any activity, any enterprise, which is started with such tremendous hopes and expectations and yet which fails so regularly as love. If this were the case with any other activity, people would be eager to know the reasons for the failure and to learn how one could do better, or they would give up on the activity. Since the latter is impossible in the case of love, there seems to be only one adequate way to overcome the failure of love, to examine the reasons for this failure, and to proceed to study the meaning of love. So uh, I guess I was going a little bit more with uh, what I was talking about. Uh, we recognize the problem, we recognize the need to overcome the problem uh, as a human need, and, uh, and we recognize that it's not something that we can avoid or something that we can discard, but it's something that we gotta reckon with. So uh, what is love? Where does love come from? How do we get there? Um, I think the, f the, the first lens that I wanna look at it is, uh, love is the desire to know. And so this is where there's a really cool overlap with curiosity um, and a really cool overlap with truth. So since we already did all that stuff on truth, this one's a pretty easy one to kind of grapple with and, and come to terms with, which is the idea that uh, when you let yourself be unbuffered, you open yourself up to curiosity. And so when you're curious, uh, there's this desire to know. There's not this assumption that everything is known, uh, but there's this recognition of the unknownness of things and an okayness with that unknown um, that is sort of an explorer's mindset. And we talked about that a bit before, but um, when you apply this to people, it kind of opens up this whole new realm, right? Like if we are thinking of people as dynamic and ever-changing, then uh, there's always more opening up within them for us to discover. Uh, so every person becomes sort of a universe in and of themselves. And this becomes the really the ultimate uh, fulfillment of that uh, curiosity um, and that desire to know. Because uh, whereas objects uh, have a finitude to them, human beings, um, by their ever-changing nature, and... and you know, on a deeper level, I would argue anything in nature is ever-changing and, the, and there's an illusion of sameness and unchangingness because of our left brain's need for categories. Um, but ever the more so with people, right? Like people are always changing. And if you know somebody one moment, you don't know them the next moment because they've, uh, they've grown, they've uh, changed their understanding and all that sort of stuff. So... Um, I think that that's a really cool lens to sort of open up this idea of loving um, and to really see how it is related to truth and this is the desire for truth. Um, like what what is the whole thing with like like the common nagging of like uh, 
relationships that are doomed to fail, like, oh, they never listen, right? But, but what is listening? Listening is taking a second to pause and be curious and to not assume that you have all the answers or that you know everything, but to go, there's more here for me to discover. And that's really cool. Uh, that is really encouraging because that means that if we let go of fear and we let go of the closed-mindedness and we keep an open mind, then we're already well on the path to love. So um, like Eric Fromm said, it, it's something that takes tremendous practice, uh, but that also means that we can kind of double up on the practice in a weird way because they're so related, is like fostering curiosity and creativity and openness to the world and a willingness to explore also will foster love. Uh, so that's really cool. Um, that means that that all this stuff is interconnected. Oh my gosh, that's crazy, Aaron. Wow. Who knew? Did you know this? Yes, I did know this. Of course I knew this. <laughs> this is where I was going with my whole podcast. Um, th these are like the core concepts that I want to bring together so that we can springboard into whatever we want to explore. Um, but this is kind of the start of that. This is kind of the fun and the alchemy of it where these seemingly separate things start to really connect. So um, so here we are. Uh, so so what else can we explore with? Let's Let's look at some other lenses. Okay, so I know in the truth episode, we hit on capitalism a little bit, but there's a whole other aspect here when dealing with human relationships specifically that I want to touch upon, which is this idea of turning relationship into a transactional affair. So when we get used to thinking of things in terms of scarcity, we think of winners and losers. Um, and that's, that's the game that's played with capitalism, right? You have people at the top, you have people at the bottom, you have the winners, you have the losers, you have um, the success and the failure. And um, we start to look at this. So I know that in the truth episode, I talked a little bit about capitalism and how that abstraction is sort of antithetical to wonder and to um, finding truth uh, because it's too much of a shortcut. It's uh, too much of a simplifying. And um, I want to touch on that again in terms of relationship. So I think that affects relationship in two ways. In one way, which I kind of already mentioned, is this way where we are waiting for love, where we're waiting for it to come to us, um, and we sort of turn somebody hypothetically into um, an object of our desire, right? We... we want somebody to complete us. Um, so in that way, we're kind of using a person as an extension of that idea of uh, obtaining things like we do in capitalism, uh, that if we could just obtain the right thing, then we'll be happy. Um, now, when we put it that way, that's pretty obvious that's not how it works, right? Like, um, we know that objects don't make us happy. We know that uh, it doesn't fix loneliness, that there's no correlation between happiness and material wealth, um, at least beyond basic necessities. And and yet we still treat each other that way, right? There's always like finding the one and that person to complete you. And, and this is really interesting because that goes way, way, way back all the way to uh, Roman, I think even Greek mythology, which is probably Greek mythology because Romans really just kind of copied off the Greeks for everything. So so we'll just say Greek. Um, this idea of uh, being an incomplete self that was separated at the beginning of time and that there is another half to you, a literal soulmate. So the idea of soulmates is this like you are a half of a soul and there's another half of a soul out there and it's your job to find them and then you can be whole. Uh, and we still, we, we've held on to that, which is really weird because it's not, um, it's, it's not in line as much with a lot of the other things we've held on to in the Western world. Uh, it feels very mythological and very uh, metaphorical and, and full of emotion and all that sort of stuff. But I think that uh, the thing to recognize is that it, it's not so cut and dry. You know, like some things of romanticism uh, held on and some things of enlightenment held on. And, and sometimes those things can create a really weird alchemical mix uh, I think the really big thing with this is when you look at how dating has become uh, with technology 
especially with like dating apps and stuff, right? You like swipe left, swipe right, right? It's so, so much deep into the objectification. But at the same time, there's still those romantic ideals of uh, heavy and big emotion and it's supposed to be explosive and full of life, right? Like this unique, wonderful thing. And um, the two of them together makes this really weird mix uh, of expecting something extraordinary but also doing it in the exact same way that everybody else is doing it in a cookie cutter sort of way. And um, I think that it leaves a lot of us really dissatisfied because of our expectations, um, our expectations of what love is and what it should be. Um, so I guess that brings me to a whole other thing, which is expectations. Uh, we, through the subjectification of love, put expectations on love of what it should be and what it shouldn't be or what it needs to be or what the other person should be or shouldn't be and what they need to be, how they need to act, right? Um, one of the biggest things I think that plays into this is uh, the patriarchy. And I know, I know when you hear that word, it's like, wow, great, you're going to go there and like, like, did you turn it into some crazy feminist? Have you like been radicalized? What is going on? Like, why, why do you got to bring in weird gender politics into this? And I know, I know it, but but let me just take a minute and a rabbit trail to to let you know what exactly what I'm meaning when I say the patriarchy. And what I mean by that is this unequal uh, rule, this unequal uh, value placed on men above women. Um, this turning of things into a hierarchy, rather than a community that we grow together. It's who is on top is what's important. Um, this creates a lot of objectification. Like in one sense, uh, for the men, uh, it creates a tremendous pressure because you're supposed to be on top. So if you're not on top, then you got to get onto the top, right? You've got to be the the top gog, the boss, um, all that sort of stuff. And there's this tremendous pressure to do and to act a certain way, to have enough grit, to have enough uh, to to be a provider. All that sort of stuff, um, and then on the other end, it's uh, it's an objectification. Uh, women become trophies, right? Women become the reward for all that hard work, and so between the two things, uh, this, those two sides of the coin, uh, we have uh, that love should require this hard work. Um, that in order to be seen and appreciated and cared for, you have to be enough. Um, so that creates a ton of shame on one hand, in the end of men. And uh, for women, uh, there's a dehumanizing aspect, right? There's this minimizing of the self, this um, turning to objectification, um, to externalities, to being pretty, to being beautiful, to uh, being enough in terms of utility as well, right? Like a good housewife or and, and things like that. And, and obviously, um, as I'm talking about these things, um, this isn't the case for any individual. We're real, really what we're talking about is a, a system in place, a, a way of being in the world that um, lends to inequalities. Um, so that's what I'm talking about when I talk about the patriarchy. It's very much lined up with capitalism. It's very much lined up with a left brain thinking, uh, very much not in line with uh, an openness and an acceptance of the world around you and the people around you. Um, with uh, grace, if you want to go in religious terms, uh, it's not uh, in line with really with love, um, because if love is the action that we're talking about, rather than the feeling, rather than the obtaining of an object, then uh, once you put conditions on it, it no longer becomes love, because it's not done out of a joy, but out of an obligation, and the actions get twisted instead uh, into a sort of self-preservation rather than um, an outpouring of joy and exploration and desire to know and to see. So um, an example of this would be like um, a person in a relationship saying, no, I don't want to talk about that um, because they are afraid that they will be perceived as not enough, right? Um, and then the other person saying, well, I'm not going to be with you if you don't want to talk about it, um, rather than a curiosity on either end, right? One, um, an acceptance of self that says, you know what, I have worth because I'm a human being, not because of what I do. Um, and then two, um, a lack of curiosity 
as to why the other person is acting that way. And so this objectification really uh, goes both ways and hits both ways and hits on a lot of other big system things like capitalism and patriarchy and uh, all this stuff. Uh, ultimately, uh, hierarchy doesn't really have any place in love because love is a connection of equals. Um, and this is true beyond just human beings, right? Like um, if you have somebody who is... Uh, treating the world like they are better than it, right? Like um, like uh, if we are human beings, if we human beings collectively are saying um, we are above the world, we're more important than the world, uh, then we're going to slowly destroy it. And I, I mean, we are. Like that's not even hypothetical. That's what is already going on. Um, whereas if we viewed the world as something that is permeable, uh, to us that that we affect that affects us that we're in relationship with uh we no longer place ourselves above it or below it whichever case would be there's no hierarchy and so um i think that that's another lens to look at all this through is like uh anywhere there's a hierarchy uh there isn't room for love um and that becomes a really hard thing in practice right because it's hard not to create hierarchies it's hard not to say uh, this is better than that, or this action is better than that action. But really, um, I think that that's the only way forward. Uh, there's a really good book that I was reading called, uh, oh shoot, what is it called? <laughs> um, hold on, I'll get it here. See No Stranger. Uh, it's by someone called Valerie Carr. Um, she's a, a Sufi, uh, I think. Anyway, point being is, as is, is part of her religious practice, is this idea of loving everybody and loving everybody always. And at first that sounds super lovey-dovey, hippie, like kind of weak, for lack of a better term. I, You know, like we have an initial kind of repulsion to that of like, no, that wouldn't work. Like way to have your head in the clouds, but this is the real world. Um, but she goes into great detail talking about how hard it is um, because she is a Muslim and especially after 9-11, had to deal with a lot of hate coming at her. And it was a constant and difficult choice for her to decide not to buy into the hate and not have uh, expectations on love or requirements for love um, and choose to love the person anyway. Now, with that, there's still a sense of safety, right? Like, it, like, to not be in a dangerous situation, not keep yourself in a dangerous situation. Um, and this is where it gets into a whole different thing, which is uh, the need for self-love. Um, because if love is a interplay between two parties, uh, you have to still take care of your own party, right? Like, um, love cannot work if you're not loving yourself. And we see this in practice, right? Like, like um, to go back to that example that I was talking about of like in, in a relationship when somebody doesn't want to talk things through because they feel ashamed, well, there's this, there's not self-love going on there. Uh, if there's a self-love, there's an assurance like I'm okay whether or not this person accepts me, I accept me, I love me, and so I can share myself. Like I don't need them to accept me for me to be okay. Um, I don't need to have their love in order to have love in my life because I am practicing love I am involved in the art of loving, which means that I can love them freely and I don't have to worry about a return. So th that's kind of a whole other part of all this is um, self-love is, is huge. And just to put like kind of a a little bit, you know, we, we have a little bit of backlash to the whole self-love thing, right? Like we've seen far too many people that are just way, way too interested in themselves, just like uh, they can't stop talking about themselves. They don't want to listen to anybody else. They're in their own little world, and and anything that happens that they uh, that they have in their life that is less than ideal is always somebody else's fault, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And that um, Fromm actually has a lot to say about that. Uh, that that is not actually self love at all. That's self hatred. That's a fear of self. Uh, that is a uh, putting conditions on oneself and and buffering oneself even more, right? So that is that is a left brain ego activity of a fear that things are not okay and protecting oneself 
against being in the world. Um, and if there's a permeability between the self and the world around you and the people around you, then uh, love in general has to include a love of self because those boundaries aren't so clear cut. Um, and when I think about that, I think about uh, this other book that I read called Entangled Life, uh, which was about fungi. But one of the things that this author started talking about uh, was how immersed uh, their life became uh, in the fungi when they were studying them. So, so they had a love, right? Um, and, and this is kind of a cool distinction to make too, is like the, the love uh, isn't just between people. Uh, you can have a love of uh, uh, interests or hobbies or, or careers. Uh, you know, there, there can be a love of ideas as well. And so uh, this person specifically absolutely loved fungi. And uh, this book, they, they're so in love with the fungi and so enmeshed and so immersed of this back and forth that they become kind of changed by their study of the fungi. So they start to see these different categories that they didn't see before, or rather these lack of categories that they didn't see before um, because of the ways that fungus uh, enters into other life and, and the lines get blurred. Uh, and they started to see their own life as blurred in that way. And uh, so that's kind of a meta, <laughs> a little meta example there of like, like in one sense, we are all kind of like fungus. Uh, we, uh, so I don't know if you're familiar with lichen, but they are a symbiotic relationship between a fungus and a bacteria. And they grow on rocks and they're super old and their structure is unlike a fungus or a bacteria. They're, they're completely different, but they, um, there's a symbiosis there. So, so maybe that's a, a good lens to look at it through is symbiosis. Um, I feel like I talked about that before, symbiosis at some point. So here we are. We must be on some sort of track because we're hitting on some universal truths again. That's really cool. Uh, so symbiosis is this idea of exchange of uh, not just information, but exchange of being where the lines of being, being blur. And uh, that is the very core and nature of love itself. And so if that's the core nature of love itself, then the love of self is the love of other, and the love of other is the love of self. Uh, Fromm has a, a similar way of looking at this, like with romantic relationships. Um, so there's kind of layers and layers on this, right? So, so there's that interpersonally between two people, but then within a relationship of two people, uh, he talks about it as uh, ideally what it should be is you say, I love you because in you I see all of humanity, and then I love all of humanity because in all of humanity, I see you. Um, so, so there's kind of this back and forth that way where the lines get blurred. And that's the idea of permeability, isn't it? Like that's, that's what we were talking about with the truth episode is that um, we create a buffered self and this buffered self uh, doesn't want to connect. It wants to believe it's its own God, that it is self-sufficient, that, that these other categories are not needed. But... Uh, the truth of the matter is, is we are interdependent on each other. We are interdependent on the world and the rest of reality. And uh, we get changed by it. It gets changed by us. And uh, so whimsy and exploration and all that is deeply, deeply tied in with love. So I want to switch gears and talk about love and its kind of supposed opposites. Um, we often think of the opposite of love as hate, but I don't think that's the case. Um, I think that the opposite of love is indifference. <clears throat> and I've heard this said a few different times in a few different ways, um, but I wanna kind of unpack that a little bit. So how, how can love and hate be related? That, that sounds kind of weird. That seems like on the surface, they really do seem like opposites. But um, I think where they're related is um, because they're both highly involved with the uh, other that uh, they are putting action towards. So hatred is, is still kind of an action, right? Like we don't, with hate, we don't say, 
I am hate, right? We say, I hate you, right? It's, it's also an action just like love. Um, but uh, there's a slight difference there um, because whereas with hatred, there is uh, still a permeability, right? There's a, there's a notion that this other person is affecting me, uh, just like with love. It is a recognition that you aren't a separate self. But the difference is, is there's a fear involved with it. Um, so if you think of, uh, there's the, uh, gosh, I can't remember the exact verse, but you know, it, it's pretty commonly quoted. Um, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. That is kind of the idea here. Like uh, if, if you are truly loving somebody, um, you're not afraid of them because you are loving yourself and you have a spirit of exploration and excitement. There's no room for fear. You're in a right-brained mode. However, uh, if you have that permeability put upon you, whereas you see clearly how somebody else is affecting you, uh, that you are that you are not in fact a buffered self, um, that we have an exchange of being, uh, that can feel, feel very threatening if the ego is still activated. So, uh, because of that fear, uh, anger comes about and hatred comes about. So really what anger is, is it's like the buffered self failing to keep its walls up. And so sometimes, sometimes that anger is actually a signifier that you're closer to the point of love uh, than it seems like. It, it can seem like an impossible gap to bridge, like you're on the exact opposite ends of the spectrum. But the reality is, is more often than not, if that person is displaying anger towards you, they are already recognizing the ways that you are interconnected. They're recognizing the intertwinedness uh, and they're trying to separate it. So that creates a tremendous opportunity where if you meet anger with love, uh, you can assuage those fears uh, and you can help them in small ways to let go of it. And then it opens up a ton of room for love because they're already connected. So um, it's kind of a double jeopardy sort of thing. But I think the real, the real difficulty, the real difficult thing to overcome is indifference. Because indifference is, indifference is a turning of a gaze, right? Um, indifference involves not caring, uh, not caring to see, not wanting to see, right? So like if there's a couple and they're arguing, they still care about each other. They still want to be known. They still want to be seen. But if there is somebody who is checked out and, you know, hey, how was your day? Fine, right? Uh, there's not much that can be done about that. Um, there, there's no active engagement there. And the curiosity is gone. The uh, desire for connection is gone. The desire to uh, be changed is gone. There's this uh, want to create a protective case, uh, a separate world. And ultimately, indifference really signifies a successful uh, creation of a separate world. Um, so maybe that's the difference there is uh, indifference is the opposite of love because it's a separate world succeeded, whereas anger is not quite the opposite. It's just sort of a uh, love not gone into completion because it is a engaged and active uh, a recognizing of the permeable state and just sort of rebelling against it a little bit. So really, I, I think the biggest danger there is when anger becomes indifference. Um, and obviously, uh, this is more on a deeper context, a metaphysical context. Um, I don't want to say, <laughs> like, like if there is a dangerous situation and somebody is angry at you, please don't, uh, don't try to stick with it. Like, you know, there has to be a love of self involved too, right? <laughs> like, like, keep yourself safe. But um, th there is kind of a uh, counterintuitive sense there. But again, this is kind of the really cool alchemy that comes with love, the, maybe the hope of love, which is that if you can learn to love yourself um, and be self-sufficient in that love, and I don't mean self-sufficient in the sense of never needing anybody or, or anyone. Um, I mean self-sufficient in as uh, even if nobody else loves you, your life is full of love because you love yourself. Uh, 
then there's tremendous opportunity to show that love to other people and let their barriers come down. So even though I don't think it's healthy to expect somebody else to fix that for you, um, because there's never any guarantee there, and most of us are just waiting for somebody else to do it, uh, the really cool thing is a little bit of love goes a long ways. Uh, a little bit of that true, genuine love that is coming from a fulfilled heart that's overflowing, a love that uh, is not asking for something, that is not needing something or, or wanting to be made whole, but is just there for the sake of it and just enjoying it, uh, that kind of love is contagious. Um, when people receive that kind of love, uh, the fear goes away. They go, oh, maybe I am okay. This person's treating me like I'm okay. Maybe I am. And then it allows for some introspection and some self-love to occur. And uh, in this way, we can kind of work on each other and uh, create this, uh, C.S. Lewis calls it a good infection, um, that uh, kind of defies the normal logic of the world of scarcity, right? So uh, these these capitalistic ideas and these patriarchal ideas and these hierarchical ideas, they involve scarcity. This idea that if I win, somebody else has to lose. And when love enters the mix, especially this kind of love that I'm talking about, it multiplies. Uh, by me giving away love, I still have all my love. In fact, it's increasing because it's the action of, right? It's the motion of it. It's not the end object. And then at the same time, it's creating that action in somebody else. And so it's by, by giving it away, more is being created. Um, and so it doesn't really fit the logical systems uh, that our left brain wants to create. Um, our left brain can't really understand it. That's, that's the main reason why our left brain can't understand love, but our right brain can. And the cool part about that is uh, our right brain is also involved in the exploration and the fun and the play. And so we can sort of get into that mode of, uh, of fun and excitement and uh, let go of those fears of the unknown, let go of those fears of not being enough or not having enough. And we can really start to treat everything, it, it all like a game because the stakes are no longer there, right? Like if we're already complete, if we already have all the love in the world that we would ever need, which is in ourselves, then we don't have to worry about being okay anymore. Um, we can be attuned and attentive to uh, what other people are feeling, and we can uh, choose to enter into that, but then it becomes a choice rather than a need, right? And, and that's when it gets really cool. So Eric Fromm talks about that where he says, um, immature love says, I need you and so I love you, but mature love says, I love you, and so I need you. And so when love goes this route and becomes more about a choice than it is a feeling, it turns into a sort of a play and a, a creativity that's involved. There's this really cool concept of the uniting of opposites and the emergence of a third. Um, I've got this idea from a different podcast uh, it's by a guy named Michael Mead. It's called The Living Myth. But he talks about this a lot where um, there's these tension of opposites. And as long as they remain opposite, uh, nothing gets created. Nothing is new. It's, it's all the same. It just goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. But the moment you can meet in the middle and there's an interweaving and an intermeshing between the two, uh, something new emerges uh, that is different from the two things in and of themselves, that, that is more than the sum of both things separate. And uh, this means uh, when, when it comes to relationship, if we can approach relationship in that way with some permeability in mind and recognition that we can let go of the ego a little bit, we can let ourselves be changed, um, we can get into the middle there, into the messiness of it, uh, unafraid, then uh, we are engaging in a self-creativity. We are, we are creating something new from ourselves and creating something new in the other person. And so it turns into this really fun game. And the thing about games is there's two types of games. There's uh, a finite game, and those are games where you have winners and losers, a clear ending. 
Um, and then there's infinite games. And infinite games are the types of games that you just keep playing. You don't. There, there's no ending. That uh, it's just continual play, continual creativity, continual fun. And love can be like this because, uh, as we were mentioning earlier, uh, that idea of its amplification, where when you give it, it more comes through. And uh, it creates this sort of endless feedback loop. And if you take a step back and you look at these giant problems that we have these days, uh, most of them have to do with feedback loops, right? Um, if we look at politics, it's because of echo chambers. Uh, if we look at climate change, it's because of these warming systems that create more warming systems that create more warming systems. Uh, these things cycle through and ramp up. But uh, if we look at love as the only natural force that we have access to all the time that does the same sort of thing, um, the only thing that causes a real change, uh, like we talked about in the truth episode, uh, this, this spirit of exploration and the new and the novel, we, we get solutions to problems we didn't even know we had. Um, if that's tied in with love, then we have this tremendous hope with love, this tremendous excitement with love and freedom with love because it means that it's self-amplifying as well, which means that it is up to the task of solving these world problems that we have. So as cheesy as it sounds, love is the answer to all this stuff. Um, and that's not the end of it. That's just the beginning of it. And that's why it's so early on in, in the podcast episodes. Uh, from here, I want to kick off onto creativity and uh, probably some storytelling. Uh, I want to deal with uh, loss and grief later on. Uh, music, I think, could be a great uh, large constellation topic to go over. But uh, at the end of the day, all of this centers around truth and love and creativity. And all of those blend in together and, and merge into one another. And they all center around this idea of tapping into that right brain thinking that draws connections between things that you wouldn't find connected, that, uh, that has an attitude of love and an attitude of exploration and excitement and freedom. Um, and so it's a really cool thing because these are these sort of things that we had as kids and uh, we sort of let go of in order to survive in the world, right? And the narrative that we're told is that uh, this sort of being and uh, living is naive and it's not actually useful. But at the end of the day, when you, when you actually go and dive deep into it and explore it, you find that there's incredible utility there beyond the normal functional utility that we use just to survive with our left brain. So uh, I guess that's the hope and the encouragement uh, as, we're in, as we're entering into a new year uh, into new problems that we don't even know that we're going to face, uh, into new difficulties in even just love itself, right? The, the connection is hard <laughs> because we're all still kind of quarantining. Uh, the future is uncertain. Are we going to be able to get past this political divide? All this sort of stuff. There's no uh, logical solution to it. There's no fit framework uh, that can end it. But, but there is tremendous hope with the love and the creativity. So uh, so that's that's what I got for this episode. Uh, that love is the answer. As cheesy as it sounds, it's it's actually uh, bold. Uh, it's not a cop out. It's not a cheap solution uh, or a writing off of practical solutions. It's the opposite of that. It's it's diving in deeper and closer and having the courage to be connected, the courage to let ourselves be affected by the world and by each other, and um, ultimately to to live a life of freedom, a life uh, of fulfillment, that fulfillment that we feel so lacking in in the modern age, uh, we can still tap into that. It just takes a little bit of courage and a little bit of encouragement from each other, and we can get there. So thank you for listening, and I, I think that's good enough for now. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't even. I guess I could go look at my uh, my notes and see if there's other things, but I I don't know. Maybe there is. But uh, we can always do a backtrack episode or an addendum episode or something like that if there's things missing. And in fact, I think maybe that's probably a good plan. Um, if, if you guys think of anything that kind of kicks off all of this or some connections that I didn't make, um, some other things to bring in, some other uh, lenses to look at all this through, then uh, please contact me and we can uh, create another episode about this or even another episode about anything else. Um, 
One other note before closing is uh, I found a new method for getting other people on the podcast. I know there was nobody on this one, but I'm slowly going to kind of incorporate that, I think, especially with love in mind, right? Uh, that permeability. Uh, I want other people involved. So, um, but to make it easier for everybody, uh, as sort of uh, uh, easier inroads to that, uh, I recognized that the format is to just um, record a conversation with you and let it go anywhere. And then I can cut and paste those and add them to themes later. And uh, we don't have to worry about staying on track or, or anything like that. We can just have a conversation. So if you want a conversation, please call me up, uh, send me a message on Facebook, go through the website, uh, whatever method you want, uh, email me um, and say, hey, I'd like a conversation and uh, we can set it up. Uh, it should be pretty easy. I've, I've looked into some, some ways of doing it remotely so we don't have to worry about COVID stuff or, or being in the same city or anything like that. Um, and it can be about anything, anything that you're passionate about, anything that lets you come alive, uh, let's talk about. And at some point or another, uh, if we do that, I'll, I'll add it to an episode and we can have some fun. So uh, with that, I guess I'll just leave you guys in saying uh, I love you and thank you for listening and thank you for dealing with the rambling on and the weirdness of uh, me changing up the formats and having huge gaps and all that sort of stuff. Thank you. Um, I recognize that it is a tremendous act of love even to just give attention to this. And uh, for that, I'm grateful. So thank you. And I hope you'll be here next time. And I'm excited to see what we come up with. Peace.